0: You have your Bibles today, I invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 will be our text. We're only going to get to verse 4, the salutation or greeting of the Apostle Peter to the faithful in AD 66 as he shares a message of hope and encouragement to them. Uh, last, over the last few weeks and months, we have been studying the epistle of 1 Peter. And the primary theme of that epistle would be hope, living hope. Uh, but today, as we segue, as we make our way into 2 Peter, um, the theme is truth. And I've entitled this series, Living Truth. And i tell you what, church family, you figured this out now by three years, that I'm just not smart enough to be able to plan sermons that are going to coincide perfectly with what's going on uh, in our world and in our culture. But I'm so glad... That we have God's word and whenever we preach God's word and we study his word, it will always be pertinent. It will always be apropos to whatever is going on in our lives and what is going on in our society and in our culture. And by the way, as I speak today on truth, we will look at verses 1 through 4, but I've just got to take a moment just share just a little bit of my heart what I see going on uh, in our nation, in the capital and also in the capital here of the great state uh, of Texas. And I'm going to go ahead and invite you tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. I'm going to be going down to the Capitol. And uh, we're going to be having a pro-life rally. And Governor Huckabee and Governor Perry and many others are going to be there. I think the Duggar clan is going to be there. Amen. Looking forward to seeing them that have about 80 children or something like that or 20. And so I do want to encourage you to come and and support uh, life. I am absolutely, unequivocally, inexorably a pro-life individual. I believe that God in heaven has created us in his image and we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that is uh, psalm 139 as i had a chance down there at the capitol to engage in some debates and sharing with some uh, pro-abortionist people i was able to share with them psalm uh, 139 and while we're speaking about truth i want to go on record to say that i believe that the supreme court got it wrong a couple of weeks ago i believe that man and woman are to be married and not man and man and not female and female And as I'm speaking about truth, I'm very, very concerned for our nation because, as Dr. Al Mohler said a couple weeks ago, we'll go down as a red-letter day for America when the Supreme Court redefined the most basic, homogeneous, nuclear unit of society, and that is the sacred male-female marriage relationship. And here's my concern. I'm concerned about polygamy, I'm concerned about pedophilia, bestiality. I tell you, when you open up the Pandora box of ethics, you're going to be, we're going to be in trouble as a nation. So we're talking about truth today. And what you say, well, how can you say truth? Who, who, who creates truth? Who is truth? And so we as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that God has spoken. He has spoken for all time and eternity in two primary specific ways. And this is called special revelation. God has revealed Himself in His Son, Jesus Christ, completely, fully, bodily, the Godhead. But He also has revealed Himself to us in sacred scripture. And so, what an honor, what a high honor it is for me to be able to stand before you each week and not say, Thus saith Brother Danny, or Thus saith a theologian, or a philosopher, or an ethicist, but what does God say? What does God say about truth, and what does God say about ethics? What does God say? about how you and I are to live our lives. You know, what's interesting is we move in time, we are actually moving backward in time in ethics and morality. And we are not very far removed, by the way, from the first century in what they believe and how they practice their lives. And it's so interesting that in these last days, just as the apostles back then in the first century were to stand for truth and preach God's Word in love, I believe things have come full circle and that we as pastors and leaders and preachers today must also stand up and be counted and be bold and share the truth in love. Now, Great Hills, you have a whole history of this. You had 30-plus years of boldness personified, and I don't think uh, Pastor Ochester would would back down at all during these days of taking a stand and saying, listen, right is right. It's going to give you some bad grammar and wrong ain't. You know what I'm saying? Right is right and wrong ain't. It's never, it's never politically right to be biblically wrong. So today, I'm going to share this message with you in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at who we are in Christ. What does God say about us as followers of Christ? And Man, there are some wonderful accolades and attributes and some powerful phrases the way God describes us as his children. Those of us who have peace and grace multiplied to us. Those of us who have been redeemed by the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. Those of us who are servants of God and we are sent out by God. And all that is encapsulated in those two verses. And then in verses 3 and 4, we're going to look at who God is. And to I, I think it's going to be a fun time this morning. This is going to be a very heady, cerebral, very theological sermon. And I believe with all my heart, if there's one thing missing in the church of America today, it is depth and theology and doctrine from the pulpit. I tell you, we have so many pithy and cute sermon series. Why don't we just have a sermon series on the Bible sometime? Wouldn't that be a novel ideal just to preach through the Word of God? And so, oh, Brother Danny, you didn't get enough sleep last night. You're very opinionated. Well... I slept really good, by the way. It's just these are these are interesting times. Never in my life did I see these times coming with such rapidity. I mean that you know we are we are watching just the end times roll upon us uh, like a massive cloud. And so I, I just want to be found faithful to God and faithful to you as taking a stand for Christ and for the Word of God. So here's the scripture, and it says, Simon Peter, a doulos, and and apostolos of Jesus Christ. Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those. To those, he's talking about the church, the redeemed community of God, uh, both Gentile converts and Jewish converts, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Uh, You can translate it received faith of the same value. With us, by the, now here is the agency whereby we have received this precious faith. It is through the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now watch this for just a moment before we leave verse 1. Leave it on the, on the screen for a moment. Peter boldly says that Jesus Christ is God. I find that very Fascinating to me. Now, that is great theology. Of course, we know it's great theology because it's what the Bible says. He says, Peter, a servant and a slave of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained precious faith by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Wow, what great theology. Then he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, again, the personal pronoun you refers to the redeemed community the people of God, the church of God. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the gnosis, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine dunamis, His Jesus, divine power, has given us, again, that personal plural pronoun would refer to the redeemed community, the church of God. The divine power of Christ has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, Jesus, who called us by His glory and by His virtue or by His goodness. By which, by which, His glory and His goodness, we have been given these exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, the antecedent for these would be the promises, that through these promises, You may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, before I pray for us this morning, I just want you to think with me that what we're about to look at is we're about to look at what Scripture says about the redeemed community of God. If you are a follower of Christ, you are very special in the eyes of God. In fact, God went to great lengths. To redeem you to save you to sanctify you and to set you apart from the corruption that is in this world you need to look at yourself in the mirror today and say wow god i am indeed special because you love me enough to send your son jesus christ god come in the flesh who died for me on a cross, shed his blood, and then he was buried. And on the third day, God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised him from the dead, and he is seated high in the heavenlies. He is the eternal God, and one day, he will come for me because I am his own. I am his his child. I am his daughter. I am his son. It's good for you to know who you are in Christ. I'm afraid sometimes we get bashful And we get intimidated because we forget, "Mm, listen, who we are and whose we are. And then secondly, I want us to look. We're just going to have a lot of theology. It's going to be a theology party today, all right? We're going to look at Jesus Christ, who he is. He is the God. He is the God of power. He is the God of provision. He is the God of promises. He's not a God, but he is I, t- I cannot get any more politically incorrect this morning. I'm telling you. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you that Jesus is God, the Word of God is true, homosexuality is wrong, and so is abortion. If I keep talking like this, I may just get in trouble, but I just might please Almighty God who sent me to preach His Word. So... Father, we do pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us boldness, that you'd give us strength, that we would preach the truth in love. I pray, God, against any spirit that is here today that would be hostile to the gospel or any person here today that would uh, seek bodily harm, that, God, you would prevent that and you would protect us as we preach the word of God. I pray as this message goes out live on the Internet now and as it will be broadcast across the nation on DirecTV. and, And, Lord, I just pray that you would use it for your glory. Lord, I am nothing but a loss. I'm just a saved sinner who has been sent by you to preach truth in the 21st century. And my life is yours, Lord. And if it takes me and my life to preach the gospel, then so be it. I have a great life. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm on my way to heaven. And I just pray now, God, that I would just be um, dispensable. At your pleasure, that you would use me for your glory. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. First of all, who are we? The Bible says that we are special in the eyes of God. Uh, Peter identifies himself, first of all, when he says, I am Simon Peter. The only two times in the Greek New Testament that this word, Simeon, actually is used. It's in Acts chapter 15 and 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, I am Peter, and I am a doulos. Now, there are words for servanthood in the New Testament. But there's only one word for slavehood or that person who would do a menial task. And Peter says, I am not the holy pope. I am not the holy father of the church. I am a servant of God. I find that fascinating to me. He says, I am not the pope. I am not the final authority. Don't call me a holy father. He says, no, I am a doulos of God. I am a servant of God. I am someone who is menial. I have been saved by God, but I am at God's disposal, and I am a doulos. Church family, don't get your doctrine from the Roman Catholic Church. Get your doctrine from the Word of God. Peter was a servant of God, and that's who Peter was. Secondly, he says, I am an apostolos. I'm one of the twelve. I'm one of the original twelve. That's what the Greek says. It says apostolos, which literally means Sent out. I am a sent one by Jesus Christ. And God had elevated him, though. He was a servant leader in the New Testament community of the church. And so he says, I, Peter, I am a doulos and I am an apostolos to those of you who have the same faith that I do. This is interesting. And the word here in the like precious faith is estimon, and it means equal value or honor. It's the same word used, and I'm in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, Those who have obtained like precious. This word like precious is istimon, and it means a faith that is shared. And the word was originally used for a foreigner who was given citizenship. It was a word used from someone who was an alien, who had come into the Roman world and they say, you are no longer an alien, you are a bona fide Roman citizen because you have the same citizenry or citizenship that we do. And this is what Peter's saying. He's saying whether you are a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, and we settled this a few years ago in Acts chapter 15, he might say, at the Jerusalem conference, Peter says, I was there and I was arguing that the same Christ who redeemed the Jews has also redeemed the Gentiles, and the Gentiles do not need to go back and be circumcised. They do not need to go back and observe all the laws of Judaism. No, they just have to believe on Christ. And when you believe on Christ, he says, Jew, Greek, male, female, boy, girl, it matters not. You now are in the kingdom of God, and you possess This faith, this precious faith, with us, he says, by the righteousness. That is so important. Notice this with me. By the righteousness. The righteousness of God in him. The only way I could ever be righteous is for somebody to make me righteous. There's nothing righteous in me. I was born a sinner. I was born in sin. My Adamic nature is sinful. Have you ever had to teach a preschooler to be sinful? No! He or she is just sinful. They will bite you. They will spit at you. They will steal their little toddlers of food and, and money if they had money, and they're just sinful. Why? Because that's who we are. We are in our nature and by our choice, we are sinful. So what happens to us? How do we become righteous? How do we, how do we possess this faith? How, do the, how is it that when we die, we go to heaven? Hallelujah! What a Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He who knew no sin became sin for us, and he died on a cross, and he was put in a borrowed tomb, and he rose from the dead so that you and I would be cleansed, and God the Father would look at us and say, I don't see your sin. I see my son. Welcome to the family of God. That is the righteousness of God. Here's our righteousness. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, All of our righteousness... It's like filthy rags. But we have been redeemed by the precious blood. And I tell you, we, we, not only as Peter, but Great Hills, we can put ourselves in this. We are doulos, and we are apostolos. Now, we are not apostles like the first century apostles. There's only these, okay? But we do have this missionary spirit about us. We are servants of God who are sent out by God, we live in such a confused world. I was flying out of Beijing to Shanghai, and then Shanghai. I was on a flight to Los Angeles, and God, uh, a few years ago, and God set me next to this 34-year-old guy named Scott, blonde hair, pearly white teeth, lifeguard. In fact, he owned his own swimming team in Southern California. He had been in Tibet for two weeks with his wealthy parents. And he was flying back, and he happened to be sitting next to me. Now listen, if you have uh, that seat next to me, I'm going to talk to you, okay? I am going to talk to you, and I'm going to talk to you about Christ. And I asked this man, I said, can I share with you a little bit about my story? I hear your story. He says, yeah, go ahead. And so he has a master's degree from University of Southern California. And I mean, just he's got everything that the world would want. He had amazing good looks, great education, enormous wealth. But as he shared with me, I heard this great hollowness and this emptiness, no purpose in life, no real joy and no real peace. And I said, can I tell you my story? I wanted to say, I don't have any of the things that you've got, but i got so much more because I have Christ who lives within me. Can I share that story with you?" And he said, yes, go ahead. And this is what he told me after I finished. He said, I'm so glad that you have found purpose in your life. Don't we hear that a lot in Austin? That that is good for you, and I'm I'm glad you have found that, uh, but that is not for me. I will just continue to meander around in darkness, and I will continue to hop from one hedonistic pleasure to the next, but that's good. I'm glad that you found your purpose. Well, guess what? I have. Maybe it's better said that my purpose has found me, that Christ who lived and died and arose and by his Holy Spirit, he has come and he has redeemed me. He has taken me out of the cesspool of sin and and depravity and he has lifted me up and he has washed me clean and I have his royal blood coursing through my spiritual veins and now I am a servant of God and I am a sent one and so are you. This is who we are in Christ. And Peter says also that we have grace and peace. He says in verse 2, grace and peace are multiplied to us. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Maybe it's better said, grace is given to us what we never deserve. We deserve wrath, we deserve hell, we deserve punishment. But God in His marvelous, magnificent, incomparable, matchless grace He lovingly poured it out to us at the cross of Christ. And and listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. I I know you know this verse, but let, let me just read it for you. He made him who knew no sin, and he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And we have grace, and we also have peace. Peace to me, and this is just my humble definition of it, is an inner tranquility of the soul where there is no fear. That's what peace is to me. It is an inner tranquility of the soul where there is no fear and trepidation and anxiety and worry, but there is peace. There is this peace with God that all is well, and when I die, I'm going to heaven, and then there is a horizontal peace, and all is well with my fellow man. I want to tell you something, friend. That is a way to live. When you've got the grace of God in your life and you've got the peace of God flowing Through your life. One writer put it this way, and I like this. He says, When Peter says grace and peace, and it comes through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, he is not intellectualizing religion, but he is saying that Christianity means an ever deepening personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me recapitulate this for you, all right? We are servants, saved. and we are sent, we have been redeemed by the righteous blood of Christ, and we have grace and peace multiplied unto us. And I've just shared with you a mouthful of theology and doctrine. I tell you, that is a, uh, that is a lot to take in. But I think it's, um, I, I just know, so desperately know, that if we knew who we were in Christ, we would, we would much easier take a stand for Christ, and we would count, it, we would count all things lost, for the excellency of this God who went to such great measure to redeem us. Now let's look at verses 3 and 4, and I'm going to talk to you a few minutes about who God is. Who is God? i just got to put a commercial in here right quick. I've I've been studying the nature of God, and I've spent hours and hours preparing this second lecture on September the 19th, whatever it is here at Great Hills Baptist Church, and I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by who God is. How amazing. How awesome. He is eternal. He's everlasting. He's omnipotent and omniscient, and he's omnipresent. Time, space, matter, he created it all. In the beginning, he was the Alpha and the Omega. And I tell you, I've been studying, I've been, I've been just spending seven days a week studying theology. And I believe it's of God. I really do. I really believe that it is of God for such a time as this. That I will teach you and anybody in this city that wants to come. We'll spend an hour every Thursday morning studying the nature of God, the nature of the Trinity, who Jesus is, what are demons, what are angels, what is sin, what is man, what is the end times. I so look forward to that. Because I believe in all my heart, if we can deepen the people of God in our most precious faith, then those very people will not be intimidated. They will not back down, but they will take a stand for God, and we will be even willing to give our lives for the cause of Christ if we just knew who He was. If we knew who He was, we would stand, and we would not, we would jettison this pedantic, petty, religion that we have and we would we would give that away and we would just count it worthy to suffer for his name and to proclaim the true glorious gospel I don't know as I hear me preach I'm kind of having an out-of-body experience I am this is kind of a weird thing for me as I'm listening to me preach I'm I can see why I'm so divisive and I can see why I'm so hated and why I'm so loved. It's, it's a mysterious thing, John. It's just, this is interesting. As I'm preaching, I'm hearing myself, and I'm sounding so antiquated, so archaic, so biblical, when the Bible has mostly been jettisoned by Christendom and by preachers. And I'm like, God, who, who wants to hear this? Who wants to hear all this doctrine and all this teaching and all this bragging about you? God, that's not the way you build a church in America. God, I don't look the part. We don't do the part. Why do I keep doing this? God says you do it because I told you to do it. And You preach the word of God and you be faithful in season and out of season. So Who is this God? I'll tell you who he is. Number one, Jesus is the God. Of great power. The word is dunamis. It's where we get this English word, dynamite. The same word is used in Ephesians chapter 1. Look at this verse, and I've transliterated the Greek so that you will see it. And hopefully you'll appreciate just who he is. It says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? The word is dunamis, okay? Dynamite. Same word used in our text, 2 Peter 1:3. Toward us. This great power is generated toward us who pisteo, who believe. According to the working, the energia, that's where we get this word energy. This this awesome energy and power works in us, and it's because of his mighty kratos, his power. All these words, they really are synonyms because they are describing this one entity, this one awesome being. The Bible says, and His divine power. His power is unlimited. His power is unquestionable. His power is so awesome and so great. And Peter says, it is this God, this Jesus Christ, who has redeemed you, who has multiplied you with grace and peace, and it's this God who will come again for you. And so let's, when I, when I think about the power of God, I want to tell you about three things I think of. I think of creation, salvation, and transformation. When I think of God's power, I see God's power in creation. God, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in six days, God created everything, not through multiplied billions and millions of years, but yom in Hebrew means a day, and God created it all. And it's his world. It's his planet. It's his galaxies. It's his space. He created it all for his glory. And so that you and I might look up in the heavens and say, wow, there is somebody out there who loves me. Look at the majesty and then the awe of this world that he has created. When I see that, I think of God's power. And also think of God's power manifested in salvation. That God so loved the world, and in His power He gave of Himself. He gave His only Son, who died for us. And anybody and everybody that believes on Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's power. But I also see it in transformation. When you see a life that has been radically changed by God, you know. You know. That there is a God. I think of Lee Strobel, and I. You know, this was a this was a brilliant man. He still is, by the way. He. Um, he graduated from Yale University, Yale School of Law. He was the legal affairs editor for the Chicago Tribune. And in his own words, he he talks about how. He was, and these are his words, by the way, he says, I was a skeptic and I was an atheist. To me, there was far too much evidence that God was merely a product of wishful thinking, ancient mythology, primitive superstition. How could there be a loving God if people went to hell? Miracles, how could they contravene the basic laws of nature? Jesus, Jesus, excuse me, excuse me, I graduated from Yale Law school. Jesus was a revolutionary figure, and that is all. He was not God in the flesh. And I'll tell you this because I have plenty of university professors who told me so. And they certainly could be trusted. Couldn't they? He asked. Couldn't they? Let's face it, even a cursory examination of Jesus, he was just a human being like you and me, though he was kind and he was wise. Yeah, I could see some gaps and inconsistencies, but I had a strong motivation to ignore my gaps and inconsistencies. And here here was my motivation. A self-serving, immoral lifestyle that I would be compelled to abandon if I ever changed my views of who Jesus was. Come on now. Let's, Let's get real. There is a preponderance, overwhelming evidence for God. But Lee Strobel got it. He got what most in the church today have not gotten, and that is once you come to Christ, things change. When you come to Christ, you don't sleep around with everybody anymore. You don't get wasted and, and drunk and high. You, you, you move that stuff away. You know why? Because you got something much better. you got God in your life. And you got the community of faith pouring into you, and so it's a much better life. And he says, well... There was enough proof for me to rest easy in the conclusion that the divinity of Jesus was nothing more than fanciful invention, or so I thought. And on that day in 1979, my life radically changed when my wife Leslie walked in the door and says, Honey, guess what? I got Jesus. Jesus Christ is my personal Savior and Lord. He said, I am going to tell you something, I got so mad I could spit nails. He said, I was thinking, What in the world? Who has duped you? Who has... Who has pulled this over on you? I rolled my eyes and I braced for the worst. I felt like a victim of a bait-and-switch scam. Who in the world is this Leslie? It's not the Leslie that I married. And then he said, I began to watch her life, pleasantly surprised, fascinated by the changes in her character, her integrity, and her personal confidence. So I launched an all-out investigation into the facts surrounding the case for Christianity. I read books, interviewed experts, questioned, asked questions, analyzed history, explored archaeology, studied ancient literature, and for the first time in my life I picked that Bible up and I began to read it verse by verse. I plunged into the case with more vigor than any story I ever pursued. I applied the training I received at Yale Law School as well as my experience as a legal affairs editor of the Chicago Tribune. And over time, the evidence, the evidence of history the evidence of science, the evidence of philosophy and psychology began to point to the unthinkable that Jesus Christ really is God. And he said, when I saw that, when I saw that, he said, I knew I was in trouble. (laughs) He said, the hounds of heaven had caught me, and I gave my life to Christ. And today, Lee Strobel is a pastor and a leading apologist for the Christian faith how do you explain that? How do you explain that? I call it dunamis. The power of God to redeem a life. He is the God who not only has power, but He is the God who provides. Look at verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. As His divine power has given. Can we stop there for just a minute? He has given. To me, I translated. it, He has provided. It's in the perfect tense. In the Greek New Testament, it's my favorite tense. The perfect tense, it refers to a completed action with present ramifications and future implications. Many times when the Bible refers to us and our soteriology, our salvation, it, it says it in the perfect tense, meaning that God did something in our lives in the past and it currently impacts us and we are forever Saved And and, and that's the word he used here. He says, it is his divine power, and his power in the perfect tense has given. Has given in the past, is given in the present, and will give in the future. Listen to this, listen to this. All things. God has given us all things that pertain to these two dynamics, to life and to godliness. Let's talk about that for just a minute. God has given us everything to enjoy in this life he has given us forgiveness he has given us grace god has given us everything in, in this bios in this biology or in this uh, zoe this this life that we have god has given us everything that we could ever imagine to satisfy us in fact jesus said in john 10:10 10, 10, i've come that you may have an abundant life and then in second corinthians 5:17 watch this he says you now you're in christ you are a new creation You got a new life. Old things have passed away, but all things now have become new. So he has given us, Oh, listen to this, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. I don't have any guilt in life. I don't have any fear in death. It's because Christ, in his power and in his grace and in his provision, he has saved me, and He has changed me. He has redeemed me by His amazing grace, and He's given me everything I need for life, and He's given me everything I need. Hold on to your britches. He's given us everything for godliness. I say, hold on, because we don't talk about godliness anymore. We, we don't talk about godliness and sanctification anymore, but the Bible says Christ has given us everything for for godliness. Now, I, I want to take a moment and compare you to a pig. Okay, so just no, no, really, st- stay with me for a minute. Pigology one oh one. Have you ever seen a pig at a county fair? With a little curly tail, spick and span clean, and has a has a ribbon posted on his ear, a blue ribbon on his ear. I'm telling you what, friend. That is a miracle because there is no pig in his right mind who's going to get out of the trough, going to get out of the mud and the slop. How in the world does a pig go from that to stand there and got his little tail curled up, got his nose in the air, clean as he can be, got a blue ribbon? I'll tell you how he got there. Somebody put him there. All right, Somebody took that rascal up. From the sloth and the mud, and he scrubbed that rascal down, and he did whatever they do to curl their tails, and they put him in the fair, and they put the bow ribbon on. You know what? That's exactly what happens to us, because God, in His amazing power and grace, He lifts us. Some of y- I know what some of you're thinking. I got it in my notes. It says here: I have not been to church in a long time. I went to Great Hills Baptist Church, and the pastor compared me to a pig. That's right, I did. And now God, he, he gets all the glory because you and I who stand in righteousness and we stand forgiven, it's not, because of, it's not because of anything in us or great about us. It's just that there is a great God who has redeemed us. This is the grace of God. We receive everything we need that pertains to life and godliness by the agency of, here it is, his glory and his virtue verse 3 let me put verse 3 back up on the screen again this is this is so important it is through the knowledge of Christ who called us by his glory and by his virtue the glory refers to it speaks to who Jesus is his nature his virtue or his goodness refers to what he does And one writer put it this way, and I can't improve on this. He said, the terms glory and goodness together, they point to the same reality. When Christ calls people to himself, oh, listen to this, they perceive the beauty and the loveliness of his moral character. His character becomes exceedingly attractive to them, and they trust God for their salvation. Another writer puts it this way, talking about the glory of Christ, the winsomeness the attractiveness of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but man, when I'm in sin, and when I'm on my way to hell, and God throws me a life preserver, and God says, you don't have to drown in your immorality, and you don't have to keep living like that, I can give you a way out! I can redeem you and I can change you and I can I can bring you to heaven with me. And I'm telling you, when God sent that offer to me when I was 19 years of age, friend, don't you know something, I took it. I saw Jesus and how awesome he is, how beautiful he is, and how sinful I was. And I latched on to Christ because of his moral perfection, because of his awesome radiance and brilliance and beauty. I saw him for the very first time for who he is and how glorious he was. And through his goodness and through his virtue and through his magnificent excellence, I clung to him and he redeemed me and he saved me. And you know what, friend? He wants to do the same thing for you. If you will believe, if you will trust in him, and you will be won over by his moral excellence as one writer. Oh, here it is. Christ attracts us who are enslaved in sin by his moral excellence and the total impact of his glorious person. End of quote. Jesus is the God who does all of these things for us. He is the God of power, the God of provision. But thirdly and finally, he's the God of promise. It says in verse 4, by which, which refers to glory and virtue, okay? It is by his glory, by the person that he is, and his moral excellency and how awesome he is, that he now gives us exceedingly great and precious promises, okay? Verse 4, that through these promises, you and I partake of the divine nature Now we've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. By His glory and by His virtue, He makes promises. And by the way, Jesus promises us some things. In 1 Peter 1, verse 4, he, He promises us an inheritance in Christ. That we who are redeemed, that we are in Him. And because we are in Him and He is in us, when we die... We have a heavenly home. We have an inheritance that will not fade away. We have a heavenly reservation. And then when we see it, and when we are there, we will look back on planet Earth and we will say, God in heaven, it was worth it all to see you, to be in your presence, to enjoy the company of the angels and the saints, oh what a precious inheritance here's another promise he gives you he promises us that he'll come again first 1 Peter 1:13, 1, he talks about the return of Christ now um when Peter's writing this in AD 66 there are people who are literally laughing him out of the pulpit they are scoffing they're saying you're an idiot Jesus was not God and Jesus surely isn't coming again And so there were people actually who believed that and perpetuated that heresy, and they taught that. And they taught it like they teach it today. Jesus is not coming again. Get your religion degree and live like everybody else and teach everybody else to live like you, an immoral lifestyle, because it does not matter. It does not matter what you do because it's all a figment of our spiritual imagination and Jesus Christ was never who he says he was. If you don't believe that, then enroll your little self in a theological divinity school in America today. Today, enroll in their schools and they'll tell you exactly what I'm telling you today, that it doesn't matter. Live like you want to live. Lead your people like you want to lead them because Jesus, he really isn't all he's cracked up to be. Yes, that's what they teach. But Peter keeps on preaching. And he keeps on telling the people, Christ is coming again. And you, who are faithful, who partake of the divine nature at salvation, well, one day, here's a promise, here it is, that you will be a partaker of the divine. Let me carefully explicate this because I don't want you accusing me of Mormonism. Mormonism teaches that (sighs) mercy. that God the Heavenly Father was a man just like us. And one day we will be like God is today. This twisted heresy, truncated view of the doctrine of God. To partake of the divine nature does not mean followers of Christ become divine. It means we will be morally perfected. We will share in the moral excellence that belongs to God. We participate, koinonia. We share in the divine nature, as one writer puts it. But that does not mean we become gods. Okay, but we are His children, and we bear His image. And He is in us. And when we die, we spend eternity with Him in heaven. Here's the last promise He gives us in this text: that we escape the corruption. That is in the world through lust. (sighs) I'm reading my notes going. There's there's a part of me saying, don't don't do that. (laughs) Don't, Don't go there. You're already hated enough. It says in my notes that our culture embraces the hedonistic lifestyle of whatever you desire or lust after. Then by all means... Have no moral restraint and do it. If it feels good, then do it. And yet Peter says, God redeems you from that so that you don't have to cave into the moral corruption and depravity. And here are some of these moral corruptions and depravity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <laughs> do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, or homosexuals, or sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that confusing to you? Is there something that I'm missing here that I don't understand? That if we practice those things, we do not go to heaven. That's what God says. It doesn't matter if I agree with it. It doesn't matter if I believe it. That's just what He says. And what He says, He means. And such were some of us. Were we not? But He washed us. He took this pig and He made him clean, if you will. He sanctified us. We were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That is such an anomaly, is it not? That is, we, we, don't even, we didn't even know that was in the Bible. Many of us don't even know that the Bible says such graphic, explicit things. And I'll close with this controversial statement. I was watching CNN um, online, and they showed an abortion room. They actually showed the room where murder takes place. And I had to stop because there was a quote in the abortion room. And I thought, what does that say? What philosophy, what theology drives the taking of human life? And this lady said these words, and it's engraved on the wall of the abortion room. Quote. Our feelings are our most genuine paths to knowledge. End of quote. That's not true. That's not true. Our feelings lead to lust and carnality, sensuality, homosexuality, and murder. That's what our feelings will lead us to. We can either be dictated and governed by our feelings. Or we can be dictated and governed by this book. Now, I know that that is so offensive. And I know that just upsets so many people at the core. Oh, God, help me. I'm afraid to look and see what time it is because, uh, well, I just did, it's 12.15. <laughs> I was just reprimanded this week, a guy left the church, he said you preach too long, so okay. And, um, and I don't know about y'all, I'm a preacher, you can help me with this, I, it just hurts, you know. And people that you love and that you care for, and, and then in this lengthy email debate with a person over the weekend enumerating all the things they don't like about our church and threatening to leave our church. And I'm just like, okay. And then others confronted me this week, and I'm thinking, okay. Okay. You either quit, or you keep going. And and, and let me just say something to you real quick. Were it not for the Holy Spirit and for my wife, I would quit. Because it's too much. People you care for say the harshest things to you. Chad, is that you sent back there? It's rough. And you've I been mean, preacher here for 34 years. Is that right? God bless his soul. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how I'll do it. One in ten start this deal, make it. Are y'all with me? One in ten preachers Start preaching in a church, and they they stay. And it's not because of the raucous homosexuals and the abortionists out there. It's because of the kind Christian people in here. There's a part of me that wishes I could just just walk away and say, pastors in America, I just go to every church in America and say, would y'all, if your pastors preaching the Bible, would you hang in there with him, and just support him and believe in him? Because if you don't, it's going to wear him out he will quit. That's a part of me that wants wants to do that. I look back three years ago when I came here and said, God, why in the world did I ever come here? I am the most unfit person to be here. In many ways, I think that. I'm the most apolitical person you'll ever meet in your life. I I don't argue with people and debate homosexuals and, and abortionists until I moved here. I'm like, that, that, is, that is so not me. I am just, and there I found myself in this room with 300 people shouting at me and hollering at me. And I'm like, who, God, what am I doing here? But by God's grace, by your encouragement, some of you know who you are, by your encouragement, we'll continue on and we'll fight the good fight, okay? I don't know. Maybe I've said too much, but man, I am shaking. I am just nervous as I speak these words because I want to stay here and I want to finish well. But I am a fragile creature. I really am. I am. A, I am a fragile. My family's going. That's right. Listen to him. He's fragile. But I'm going to keep preaching this book, and it may cost me my life. I believe that it may cost me my life. But I'm going to keep preaching it, and I've got great heroes to look up to. Let me pray for us. We'll have our invitation and we'll be dismissed. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's powerful, God, that it's awesome. And I thank you, God, that you called us to preach it and to live it. And you called the local body of Christ to be supportive and to encourage, God. And I pray that we would do that. We would encourage one another, build one another up, so that we keep our sanity and we keep our ministry and we keep going. Father, during these last days, I ask you to raise up a radiant band of believers in this church who will believe the Bible, who will speak the truth in love, who will move forward in victory. Father, I pray if it be your will that I could, I could do it, I could stay, and I could, I could be the pastor and the person you want me to be in this place. But Lord, I'm asking you now just to save people, God, change people. I ask you would remove those, Lord, who are so critical and and so disliking who I am and what we're doing. And God, I pray that you just keep bringing in these precious souls who just have hot hearts and they just want to move forward in the kingdom. So, Lord, we love you, and we are not perfect. I know I am not. I am so far, God, from what I need to be and the pastor I need to be. But God, please have mercy and grace on us. And God, I pray for this church. That we would thrive, Lord. That we would reach this city with the gospel. And that, God, you would change Austin, Texas through us. And we'd reach the world. We'd reach that people in South Asia, God, who have no gospel, no church. We would reach that very pagan and hedonistic city of Toronto with the gospel, Lord. But, God, I believe it happens as we are healthy and as we are vibrant here. Then we are able to go there. Lord, I ask you to bless our invitation, for I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Terry's going to lead us. I invite you to stand. God bless you as you sing, as we come. We'll have pastors. We'll have ministers here. We can talk to you. We can pray with you. We can encourage you to come to Christ. We can encourage you to become a part of our fellowship. We ask you now, even now, that you would come. God bless you as you come.